Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Today's guest just might be the worst stand-up comedian we've ever had on this show. But at least he's doing it on purpose. Say, so how many people here have a New Year's resolution from this coming, or uh, I don't know, when uh, this... <laughs> I think it's almost New Year's. I could do it this way. Uh, how many people are, are going to have a New Year's resolution this year? Anybody? I got one, by the way. I, what is yours, bud? What's yours? What's yours? Doesn't matter. Just say anything. What is your New Year's resolution going to be? To get a new job. Get a new job. Okay. What is your, <laughs> what is your, what's your job now? Fifth grade. Fifth grade teacher. I should be a sixth grade teacher. I don't know. <laughs> There you go. No, I got a, I got a New Year's resolution, and it's kind of a little controversial. You ready for it? Come here. No more bullshit. No more bullshit. No more. Bullshit. No more. Bullshit. I said no more. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Tim Heidecker from his 2020 special, An Evening with Tim Heidecker, in which he stays in character as a just awful stand-up comic for the entire hour. This summer, Tim is taking his No More Bullshit character on the road, sharing a bill with the real Tim playing surprisingly sincere music from his new album, High School. And if he's coming to your town, I highly recommend you check it out. You might know Tim from his many collaborations with Eric Wareheim on Tim and Eric Awesome Show Great Job. He's also popped up in some of my favorite TV shows like Eastbound and Down and I Think You Should Leave, and movies like Bridesmaids and Jordan Peele's Us. Or you may have seen him in the Showtime comedy series Moonbase 8, opposite John C. Riley and Fred Armisen. I did a really fun episode with all three of them a couple of years ago. But for this one-on-one conversation, I really wanted to dig into Tim's increasingly meta approach to comedy over the past several years, including a 12-hour parody of the Joe Rogan experience on his Office Hours podcast and his unfiltered criticism of the anti-woke comics like Dave Chappelle. It was so great to get into all of this stuff with Tim, who was just getting over a poorly timed bout with COVID and thankfully broke character for our interview. So here's me with Tim Heidecker. How are you feeling? I feel really good. I apologize. I know you were supposed to come to the show last night, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I was going to come to the first uh, the first show of the tour, um, which I know you had to cancel the first couple couple yeah. gigs. I mean, it was... Tough it was timing. last. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're, we're sort of the, looking at it from the best possible angle that I got I haven't had not gotten COVID for the past, you know, since it began, it avoided me. And, uh, I got, I was a little itchy, little scratchy throats, uh, happening last week and took a test and positive it was. Um, but it was kind of, kind of thinking, you know, knock on wood that it was timed nicely because now you're in the clear. It's better (laughs) that, yeah, well, we'll see, right? Like who knows? What, but yes, theoretically, it's better here and now than in Cleveland halfway through the tour. So, yeah, it, it, it was not pleasant, but I'm luckily surrounded. And, and the, the, my illness was very mild. So it was just kind of like a couple days of a, of a cold feeling. But it's the one, isn't it the most boring? Yeah, the, the, the most boring conversation. Go, I know, and I, I, I cringe. I hate it. I hate when people talk about it. And now I'm in it, and it's just like it's this endless purgatory we're in. And yeah, I feel like we we had a whole year of this podcast that was just about like 
how are you dealing without being able to perform comedy live? And it, it got very tedious, I think. <laughs> um, so we can not talk about COVID, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I want to talk about your tour um, because I, I love this, this character um, that you do in your special um, an evening with Tim Heidecker that you've been doing for so long now. And this is, you know, a big, a big tour where you're playing sort of presenting two versions of yourself to the world. Is that right? Yeah, the, it's. Uh, I came in very aggressively with that. Yeah, yeah. What's <laughs> yeah. so what? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I do a lot of different things. I think the stand up. I've never. I've I've done it live outside of L.A., but I haven't done a proper tour, especially since the special came out and the music. I've never really toured, so they're the two like outside of Tim and Eric, outside of on cinema. They're kind of the two biggest. Um, things I'm known for, things I love doing, things that I haven't done every night uh, for an audience yet. So I, I was, it was sort of a hypothetical uh, concept if I, if it would work. And then I, I ended up doing it in New York in April and it, you know, I don't know how it would play for a general audience. I don't know how <laughs> anything works for general audiences, right. but um, my crowd shows up and they're there, they're up for it all. You know, I think the, the variety of it um, and sort of it never stays one thing for very long makes it, you know, I think from for from the reaction I got, the anecdotal evidence was that it was working pretty well. Yeah. There aren't people who sort of come for the comedy, but aren't into the music or vice versa. I'm sure there are. I mean, I, I think again, anecdotally, there were people that were like, yeah, I wasn't really too familiar with your music, but um, it, it was surprisingly good. You know, that's always yeah. a nice thing to hear. <laughs> Yeah, it's always like surprisingly good, surprisingly serious, surprisingly uh, not what they expect. Yeah, and I, I want that journey. I like I like the idea of a show that kind of has ups and downs, and emotionally, not quality wise. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I don't. I mean, I just uh, we're we, every day me and and a few of the other people that are on the tour, like helping me. We talk about what those two hours or two and a half hours are going to be and how to make them as good as possible uh, or entertaining as possible. And that's, uh, that's uh, what we've been working on. So I want to start on the comedy side. Um, I know you, you, so you've been per performing this character, this kind of, uh, this no bullshit uh, guy um, for quite a while now. When did it start? When did you start performing deliberately bad comedy? <laughs> I mean, the good news is there is like, video evidence of the first time I did it. That exists. Yeah, I think I, I found that on YouTube, yeah. Uh, so, um, how many people here, I think there's a, I think there's there's sort of a defining line between, you know, you're either this or you're, or you're that. So like you're, you're a Democrat or you're a Republican. Okay? You are either a Coca-Cola person or you're a Pepsi guy, right? Pepsi. How many people love Coca-Cola here? That's what I'm talking about. I'm Coca-Cola, see? I love Coca-Cola. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's a personal preference. I don't know why. It's not based on any sort of logic or any sort of facts that I know that you guys don't know. I like Coca-Cola. So I was thinking about this. The other day I was over at my manager's house, and uh, we were watching TV. And I go into the kitchen for, to get myself a, a drink, and I go in the fridge, and there's nothing but Pepsi in there. <laughs> so I go, to, I go, Mike! I'm in, I, you know I'm coming over, pick up a six-pack of Coke or something, just keep it in the fridge, because you know I'm going to come over. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that was me, sort of, I'd already done a few years of, of Tom Goes the Mayor, and I think into Awesome Show. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were like season one of Awesome Show. And my friend Doug, DJ Doug Pound, who I do office hours with, and is big time you know, writer, editor from all our work. Um, he, he started doing a, an open mic style night of comedy and I used to go to support and I never, I had dabbled in stand up comedy earlier in my life. Um, ve like very embarrassingly heavily influenced by Andy Kaufman where I'd go up there and I mean, it's, it's, I have that on tape somewhere and it's, <laughs> it is the Rosetta stone of embarrassment. Yeah. Keeping it but, locked up. Yeah. Um, but so I, I kind of had moved past trying to do stand up comedy, but seeing that night going to that night every Tuesday night, just for, for social reasons, 
you know, there was always a couple of people that would come up and just bomb so badly and really be out of their league. And just, you just wonder like, why are you doing this? And where is this leading and all this stuff? And so more of more just like kind of as a prank or as kind of a recreational activity, I just went up there and did my version of that character of that person, just bombing badly. Um, and it started that way. It started with just like just terrible material, terrible stage presence. And I think as I started doing it more, um, this arrogance kind of crept in that was like, I used to, I was thinking like I used to do it and and used to be really, um, you know, trying, but also very aware that he wasn't doing well. And then I started getting more confident. I think like by watching Trump, like come up, uh, not come up, but, you know, start sort of like do that political speech stuff there, there, I started being influenced by that kind of braggadocio, that kind of swagger that, um, that's totally undeserved, you know, and totally un, uh, uh, just, there's nothing behind it. It's just attitude. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, it sort of like Trump, my, he can, he can kind of flub uh, a line or say something totally wrong and just blow past it and. Yeah. Or make it not, seem like it was intentional. Yeah. yeah. Right. It seems like it's evolved into you sort of representing everything that you don't like about comedy or that you don't like about <laughs> certain comedians. Um, are there people that you look at um, to take uh, inspiration from in that way? You know, I don't want to, I, I mean, I don't want to name names. It's kind of mean, but I grew up watching this stuff. Like it was, I grew up in the eighties and nineties and that was sort of the, the first big explosion of like the brick wall comics. And, and there was a certain uh, corniness to it. And just like, you know, as soon as you discovered sort of like anything that was a little left of that or a little, you know, weirder than that. It, it made that feel very kind of, you know, lame. And, uh, but it's, you know, now I think, um, I will name a few names. I mean, like Jim Brewer, I was going to bring it's him been up. A tremendous inspiration <laughs> just very recently yeah, as he's kind of Not to come bring out. it back to COVID, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I did something uh, a few months ago. I did a show at Largo here in LA and I was testing out some new stuff. But then I saw that Jim Brewer had posted his set list for that night. And I was like, well, I'm just going to try to do his set list. You know, like, <laughs> what would he do based on these? You know, the set lists are just like keywords of where you're going to go. So. Um, definitely his kind of, uh, energy and swagger and, uh, yeah. weird, I saw, insane. Yeah, I, I saw you shared his, uh, his vaccine bit that just kind of went viral on Twitter, um, which I was watching that and thinking, I mean, it's hard to top that in terms of, uh, you know, yeah, and I, comedy, and I, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it'll just kind of, it'll influence me in, in ways that I don't really, I can't predict yet. You know, it'll just sort of start showing up <laughs> with <laughs> certain sound effects I'm doing, you know? But um, yeah, you know, like, what? Did I, I mean, there's so many, I've noticed so many, uh, these comedians like use Instagram now, obviously everybody does, but like the sort of caption, um, you know, very heavily edited kind of, we've all seen them just like taken from a set at the improv or something like really staccato kind of with all the, all the things captioned with big letters, you know, <laughs> like there's that, which is like, it it really looks professional and it looks like it should be good content. And then like, it very rarely is, you know, it's very like, it's always a little disappointing. Um, so yeah, there's just obviously a scourge of it right now, I think. And it's, I don't, I don't really understand the appeal of it, you know? And I think what, when I do, when I, um, I mean, a lot of it's confirmation bias and sort of, people like, ah, this, that's how I feel. That's how I think, you know, right. Less, yeah. less than, and that's, and that's on, uh, not to sound like Trump, but that's on both sides too. There's, there's a ton of like a speechy style comedy. That's not quite making me laugh, but it does seem like you do enjoy occasionally going after people in the audience, uh, for not laughing or, or doing that yes. bit too. Yeah. You, I mean, that's always the people. classic, that was always the classic, like amateur nightclub move is to be like, oh, you don't, you don't think I'm funny? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you must be an idiot. You know, like that's a clear telltale sign of somebody that shouldn't be in this business. The fuck is the matter with you? (laughs) This guy's like, uh, what? 
Okay, this is slice of life stuff. This is, this is slow burn. This, you know, these are long format. These are not bing, bing, bing. These are not hot spot, just punchline. This is storytelling. This is Cosby comedy. This is, it's gonna require a little bit of your attention. So you put the special out in 2020 um, on YouTube. I know um, you you pitched it to some places that that didn't want it, right? I mean, I mean, story of my life, but was Netflix and Comedy Central places. Um, and what kind of feedback did you get when you were putting it out there and and having it rejected? Well, you know, you don't always get the straight scoop, uh, so I don't. But the one message that was passed along to me, I think via Comedy Central was a classic. It was a, uh, it just seems like he's making fun of comedy. <laughs> that, that <laughs> Which is not okay. My, yeah. I think that just blew my mind. I'm like, why is that off limits? Like who cares? Like, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was disappointing cause we'd fund, we, you know, we, uh, self-funded the, the special as a lot of comedians do. Mm-hmm. And then you try like to go out and try to sell it. Yeah. And then uh, this company did come in and put it out, distribute it, 800 pound gorilla. But they were like, yeah, put it on YouTube and see if it blows up. And it, it kind of did like, I don't know, it did for me, at least. I know there's people out there that get way more views, but it did very well and um, got a lot of nice reactions from it. And, you know, we treated it like a very straight special. And the weird thing that happened was we put it out and I think it, it, it got a lot of nice reactions from, from people I like and friends and fans and stuff. And then it kind of did what it, you know, it just became part of my bibliography or whatever IMDB profile. Um, and then as the, as we're gearing up for this tour, me and the guy that, I, that helps me with social media, like, you know, as, as you do, you clip out little parts and put it out on Twitter and Instagram and, do that thing that I was making fun of a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, we put this one out about me going to the opera and that one for whatever reason. And I want to know more about this because it just happened with something else t- yesterday um, of mine that it just got picked up by a whole new crowd of people that didn't know the context and didn't know <laughs> who I was, you know, didn't bother to investigate who I was or learn about why I might be doing this. And it just blew up into this, like, it's generally positive in the sense that, I don't know, I'm sure some people got, but mostly it was people being like, this is the worst shit I've ever seen. I get there to this uh, opera house and uh, I'm sitting there, I got my suit on, I'm looking good. And uh, <sighs> this show starts, opera starts, you know. And I'm, I'm looking around, this guy's up on stage, some jerk's up there going, la, 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 this and that, blah, 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 right? <laughs> looking around, an hour goes by. <laughs> I couldn't take it, I stood up, I go, shut the fuck up! Yeah. Which is that, is that satisfying for you? It's funny. It's sort of just interesting that you wouldn't have that. that There's this lack of curiosity and there's this sort of literalism running through culture online right now where it's just people just meet like people have this instinct to immediately react to something publicly without really bothering to learn much about what the, what it is they're reacting to. It could go the other way too, right? Instead of people saying, this is the worst shit I've ever seen. If you put out something that was like one of something that's anti-cancel culture or something like that, it could get picked up by people agreeing with it and not getting that it was ironic yeah. too. And I mean, that's a, I that's think a danger I, sometimes. Yeah. I think I essentially am pretty good at doing this to the place where it doesn't go that way. I mean, I remember on, on cinema, I, my character endorsed Donald Trump with a very, very almost impossible to understand speech that was full full (laughs) of idiotic thoughts and stumbling and stammering and everything. And it was like, there was a small fraction of people that come back to that saying like, but you, I thought you endorsed him. Like I thought you were into him, you know? So you do have a few people that don't get, but by and large, it's like satire is received the, correct way i suppose but 
people are, will disagree with that. I think in addition to being a, you know, to sort of making fun of comedy, there is definitely a strain of making fun of this anti-woke comedy trend that we're, you know, that we're seeing in a lot of places, um, whether it's the, you know, the 12-hour Joe Rogan experience, uh, you know, parody that you did um, or other things. Um, but that one in particular, I think, got a lot of attention for you, um, probably is something that got more news hits than really anything else you've done. Um, how did you decide to do that? Was that something that was sort of in the works for a while and then you dropped it on, uh, Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day? Yeah, we... I've always, uh, on office hours, the podcast I do with Vic Berger and DJ Doug Pound, um, we we're, we get a little obsessed with these characters, Rogan and Jordan Peterson and Tim Poole and all these people out there. And they have huge audiences and they just, they blow our minds that they're, that anyone gives a shit what they have to say. Like, it's just amazing <laughs> that they have this audience. Huge audience. Uh, and, uh, so, and there's just a million things to make fun of about it. And the thing that always struck me about Rogan's podcast of which I've listened to some, um, not like enough to get it, I think, get the general point of view and everything is just how boring, boring yeah. it is. It's so <laughs> I, I totally boring. Agree. It's so dry and and I don't come to any real yeah. and so higher long. understanding of anything. I just, you know. <laughs> especially when they're talking about like comedy and, and having other comedians on and stuff. I just find it such a drag and so lame that so many men have just decided this was their Oprah, you know, yeah, right. or this is their letterman or whatever. Like, Oh, I listen to Joe Rogan, you know, like why, like, what do you, what are you doing with yeah, your what you, hours? What are you getting out of it? Yeah. yeah like, are you just fall? Like I can understand if you're falling asleep to it, that could be the only thing, you know, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, we just said, I said, I think I know how to do this in a way that's not like a straight impression, but it should get the, my central thesis that it's boring. And, um, I love, uh, Jeremy and Rajat who I've been enjoying their work on Twitter. If you don't know those guys, they're up, they're like up and coming geniuses. Yeah. And those are the two guys that you, that you did it with and were, you were your guests and they, they were great as well, sort of playing off of what you were doing. Uh, I should say we've got uh, Rajat Suresh here. I'm saying that correct? I don't want to be disrespectful. Oh, no, you know, man. Oh, the cancel, down my... cancel mob is going to come down your throat, man. <laughs> dude, dude, they will. They will. That's, no. That's for real. Will. That's for real, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, if I don't get that right on the money the first time around, yeah. that, that's it. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. The shit that I will get. The shit that I will have to get. Yeah, man. For that. It's gotten crazy oh, wow. out there. It's crazy. It's gotten really and, crazy uh, out there. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. But uh, and yeah. Jeremy Levick. Now, yeah. there's no problem with that. Jeremy Levick here, of course. <laughs> right. So they were in New York, and we were here in Glendale, and I, we, we figured out uh, this is kind of interesting or boring. I don't know, but we did it once, and we got the rough cut back, and the sound on the on Jeremy and Rajat's side was fully blown out. It was like, so we did like a two hour recording and. And we listened to it and it was like, it was one of those things where it was kind of like, I think it's, it's, it's listen, you can hear it, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. like, you can hear it. I mean, you can understand can, what they're saying. We can go in there and try to clean it up. And I, and, and I was like, no, I hate to, I've never had to do this before really, but like, I think we just have to redo it and just do it over, which was kind of nice. Cause we had it kind of, you know, we had a second crack at some of the, yeah. do you think ideas. it was better the second time? I think it was better. Yeah. I gave, I was able to give some notes and reorder some things, but you know, it was essentially improvised with like a little sheet of paper that had like keywords and names and stuff that we wanted to kind of eventually get to. But yeah, I think it was just really fun. And then, yeah, we just kind of dropped it and made it a loop. So it felt like it was 12 hours. Um, and because that was my, always my thing with him was sort of like, you could dip into Rogan and not know where you are and not know if there's any beginning, middle or end. Um, and I think again, like what I said about the comedy, it does, uh, the stand up, it does kind of like, um, feel like people who are having this, like you were saying, just this kind of shared reaction and don't really have a way, way to express it or share it with somebody else. It, like this was like, that was what was bugging me about the show. Mm -hmm. You guys drilled in on it. So did you ever hear from him or anyone, uh, close to him after you did no, that? No, I, I, I knew like, I knew people that 
that are sort of regulars on his show kind of were, were enjoying it, like uh, Bert Kreischer and uh, Tom Segura, who I think are on that, are friends with him or whatever. They were yeah, loving it. they're sort it. of in that world. Yeah. So listen, I, I, I you know, I don't, I've kind of, you, you, for years and years of like, been combative or, or sort of like online spats or whatever with certain people in this business. And it's, it, I, I don't, I, I don't, uh, I would probably like have a good chat with Joe Rogan if I actually saw him, you know what I mean? Like I don't hate anybody. I don't like wish anybody ill will or anything, but I think you, uh, you know, I think I, I enjoy kind of poking the stick at certain things. Yeah. That I think you're, me. you're kind of unique in that way, you know, the comedy world is very, everyone's sort of like, um, it's protective. Pretty, yeah. yeah. Protective. Everyone's, you know, um, not wanting to say the bad thing about somebody. I mean, another thing that I saw you tweet, um, was this, you know, comment in reference to John Mulaney bringing up Chappelle and having him, you know, as a surprise guest and tell a lot of his anti-trans jokes. And you were basically the only comedian that I saw <laughs> speak out against that. I mean, so was that something that you just, you know, in the moment felt like you had something to say about or you, you know, I mean, listen, I have friends who are trans and I mean, that sounds like the worst way to start that yeah. conversation. Right. <laughs> but, but I really do. It's, and that's I, a, it's a real thing. And I have fans who are trans and, uh, I've heard, I've spoken to them about this and I've heard directly from them and there is tremendous, uh, you know, anxiety and uncomfortableness and, you know, sadness and hurt, uh, that, that it can, that it's treated so flippantly and, and often like dangerously, um, by, by these people with giant audiences. So it just felt, I don't under, again, it's just, it comes from a place of not understanding. Um, I'm sure, you know, I don't believe that John Mulaney has any kind of you know, uh, issues with the trans community personally, but at the same time, like, I don't understand why you need that need, you know, need Chappelle to come out to on to onto the stage with an audience that you've, that have already, you know what I mean? Like that have yeah. already paid to see. It's not, it's not what they signed up for. Yeah, exactly. So I just, and I did it of course, like a, as an honest an honest statement that, um, that my shows, you should feel safe coming to my shows that I'm not going to spring, um, you know, an anti-trans, you know, a movement, like a leader in the anti-trans movement, I should say, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, like it's like, it seems to be an issue he cares deeply about. Yeah. He can't stop talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, a, I did it out of honesty and, and also out of, at a little bit of a snarky, like, um, Hey, fuck off, you know, like it's, you shouldn't be. And also as a message to other artists and comedians and whatever, and musicians to be like, you know, feel free to speak out about this. Like you, you will find a lot of, uh, you will find a lot of uh, encouragement and, and gratitude, uh, from a very kind of cool audience. I might add like from like, you know, a young, like you talk to, I'm speaking completely self-servingly here, but if you want to build like a cool, young, creative, smart audience, like these are not the people you should be excluding from your audience, you know? Um, and that's not why I'm doing it, but these are sort of, you know, I think side effects, positive side effects of just being, you know, inclusive and understanding of, of, of marginalized communities that you don't even have to have full understanding of. You just have to be kind of like, yeah tolerant and and respectful of it's not that hard and and i'll just say one more thing that like like when i hear the anti-trans comedy it just sounds like that like cheap 80s gay stuff you know like uh andrew dice clay who i know is doing a character but um you know this the people that andrew dice clay were probably making fun of but he got kind of swept in and uh, into the dark side of, but yeah, or, or uh, Eddie Murphy too. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just it is easy, cheap uh, fodder that um, is should be beneath most of these people that are operating at that level. That's it, and whatever you know, like I'm not telling anybody they can't do whatever they want, but I'm just saying what's going to happen at my shows. Yeah, I wondered if you feel some responsibility to no. counter that stuff for, for your, for your <laughs> own, you know, younger male 
fans who well, you know grew up uh, watching Tim and Eric and maybe could go down that road if they, oh, if and maybe a lot of them have. I don't know, but I'm sure a lot of them have. I'm sure that there is a tremendous. I always say tremendous now. I think it's totally <laughs> Trump virus tremendous. in my brain. No, but I know that that when we started, you know, 10, 15 years ago doing stuff that we ch- attracted mostly a, uh, you know, a non-conformist, uh, anti-establishment, younger uh, group of men. And it, and it's it's shifted a lot and there's plenty of women too, but um, I know that a lot of them were, you know, there was something appealing about the nihilism of our work that was definitely anti-authoritarian or anti-establishment that, um, you know, you can go, you can take that to the left or to the right. And a lot of, I think a lot of guys did in, you know, in the Trump, uh, 2016, 2015, 16 and, and onward, like went that way and couldn't believe that I would, not be into that too. You know, a lot of them being like, I thought you would think this, I thought, you know, you get that nothing matters. And, uh, you know, this guy is a complete destroyer of worlds and is going to tear down the establishment. Like, why aren't you into that too? I'm like, well, I get that, but I'm also like, you know, a, a, a liberal artist, you know, theater dude who grew up you know, believing in certain, uh, axioms that are still true to me, you know? And, and, uh, I don't know if I, you know, I think this is a con job that this guy is performing and you're getting swept up into something that you don't understand. Um, so yes. And, And I mean, just, I mean, just the other day with the shooter on the roof, I see these guys and I'm just like, is that could easily be a fan? It could easily be a former fan who's now like the, the the same kids that are writing that I'm a cuck or that I'm a, you know, that they're like, I've received plenty of death threats and plenty of, um, you know, terrible trolling uh, for being outspoken on certain issues, you know? And so I look at these, all these 20 year old, 18 year old, 20 year old men and being like, I have very close connections to them in either positive or negative ways, you know. Coming up, we look back at the early days of Tim and Eric, including how Bob Odenkirk helped make their comedy dreams a reality. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to Tim's previous appearance on this podcast with John C. Riley and Fred Armisen, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Tim Heidecker. So I would love to go back and, and talk, um, you know, some about the earlier part of your career. Uh, and it was interesting. I was reading um, Bob Odenkirk's book, and he kind of tells the Tim and Eric origin story in his book from his perspective. Um, so I was curious to get it from your from your side, um, how 
he played a role in in really the very very early days of Tim. It's very surreal because I read the book like every well like like I didn't get an advanced copy or anything. Thanks, Bob. But I <laughs> I just read it like everybody else and was like kind of I didn't know that he was going to get that that he would spend that much time on our little part of the story. So that was it was cool. It's cool to see yourself in a in in history. You know, it's like it's like a part of his history. But um. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were make, Eric and I were living, Eric was in Philly. I had moved to New York and we were out of college trying to find ways to be creative. We were working regular jobs and, um, making stuff on the weekends. And we had made these about five or six shorts that, uh, one of which was, was called Tom goes to the mayor. Yeah. Just making stuff, showing it at like, at, at uh, like screenings and sometimes we'd show things before bands would play in Philly. And, you know, the reaction from our friends was positive. It was like, this is something good. Like you guys are onto something like, and this idea of Tim and Eric as like a brand, as like a brand or like a, even like a very self-conscious like meta brand that we were like, a, we were kind of, this was kind of in the dot-com boom happening like early 2000s. So we just thought it was hilarious that we had this website, timanderic.com, and it was just a bunch of nothing. But um, <laughs> we were good. We felt good about it and had like a DVD of five or six of our shorts that we had made. And sent. And I was living in New York and was trying to figure out ways in. I'd done some stand-up. I was playing music. And I just was like, I just got to send this DVD out to a few people. And one of them, it was really just the people I loved or admired uh, that I felt were doing interesting things. And one of them was Bob. And this was of course post Mr. Show, but pre any kind of fame beyond that. I mean, he was well known in the comedy world, but, uh, not, not a, not a movie star. And, um, we sent it to him with a, uh, some headshots, like very silly, very classics, you know, like Sears portrait studio kind of thing. Um, and, in, and the DVD and an invoice, Yes, and the, the invoice, in- <laughs> the invoice is is key, and the invoice was for the DVD and the headshots, <laughs> and we just kind of instinctually knew or thought that Bob would find that funny, and he did, and he called me on my phone, my cell phone at work, and was just like, just cold called me and being like, I'm sitting here, I'm just watching this DVD you guys sent me. Who are you guys? You know, like <laughs> what is what is this? It's hilarious. I love it, and he just right away got it. And if I look back on that stuff now, it's amazing that he got it because it's definitely not all there. You know, it's yeah, very it's pretty, pretty rough, pretty rough. Um, but he saw, you know, I think what he saw in it was this uh, Bob and Ray, who are these this, these two. Uh, it was Bob Elliott and Ray. I can't remember his last name, but yeah, and Bob Elliott's uh, Chris Elliott's dad. Yeah, Chris right? Elliott's yeah. dad, and they were these two radio guys, and I didn't, I never knew them, but. Uh, growing up, but Bob loved them. And he saw us in, he saw them in our work early on. And it just started with that. It started with him, like wanting to know who we were, what we wanted to do. And we talked to him for a good year of back and forth, like went out and visited him and, and, and he helped us kind of think about how to pitch a show, how to, you know, just all these things that we didn't know anything about. And he was just around us very deeply and heavily for the first few, like five years of our career. Yeah. Um, how would you describe the sensibility that you and Eric Wareheim developed together in, you know, in that, in those early years, what was it? It's cause it does seem like it was very different. Maybe it's been imitated a lot mm-hmm. since, but what were you going for? Do you think? <laughs> well, this sounds like a cop out, but we were going for m- making each other laugh and making our small group of collaborators, Jonathan Kreisel, Doug Lusenhop, um, some other guys, like we, it was, it was very, um, it was very much about what made us laugh, what we wanted to do. We loved, you know, we loved, um, whether it was the kids in the hall or Mr. Show or even SNL sometimes like that. We loved the film bits. We loved the, the commercials. We loved whenever things were kind of going after media or consumerism or, um, just the disgusting world that we are surrounded by the, <laughs> mm-hmm. the mini malls and the bad commercials and the infomercials and, you know, the grills that don't work and hair products that don't work. And, you know, just that side of life 
we were into. Hi, me, Momo, Tim Heidecker, and welcome to Discount Prices. I've got one ninety. I've got seven ninety. I've got sixteen ninety-nine. Cheap prices. Fourteen. Eleven. Two forty-nine. Three. My prices are so small you can barely see them. Some small prices. We have prices discount. Ugh. Tim's discounted prices shattered to the ground. Buy premium prices. Hi, I'm Eric, and welcome to Eric's premium prices. I've got all the premium prices. I've got $19.99 for sale for $20. You come to me when you want fine European prices. They're premium. Come on in, buy $35.50 for $40. Oh, lay an egg. Go to Tim's discount prices. Our $6.99s are down to $2.99. Tim buys his prices from China. Mine are real. American men. We are also into poor, you know, bad production. Uh, like even when I was a kid watching mystery science theater, watching like old Dolomite movies, I remember being obsessed with and, you know, just bad special effects, bad decisions, uh, failure, you know, mostly failure. <laughs> it seems like the through line goes all the way through, uh, your up now. Yes. Yeah. Failure is, I always say this, it's like failure is a core component of comedy. It is like, it is slapstick. It is like, people falling down, you know, and we try to do it in more nuanced ways, but things that represent the frustration and, and, uh, losing and, and, and people making bad choices, you know, <laughs> and these are all not things we like focus on too much when we're doing it. It just that, that we can look back and notice that in the work, but in the moment when we're writing, we're trying to subvert what your expectations are going to be, um, surprise you, maybe upset you, shock you, make you laugh, make you recognize the stupidity of the world. Yeah. It seems like you're you're more open to talking about this stuff and analyzing the comedy now than maybe you were early on. Is that true? Was did you did you resist sort of breaking the spell of it um for a while? Yeah, I think we Eric and I kind of had a mission statement for years of just being like Hey, if we're going to do an interview, like it's way more interesting to find ways to make that a bit and make that fun and funny for us, um, than, than it would be to sit and overanalyze it. And we sort of, I remember being like a point of pride being like, I'm not doing that Mark Marin show. I don't want to <laughs> sit there and talk about how great I am. You know, have I mean? you, have you done it? <laughs> and then we did it. Like I eventually, I remember I broke down and did it cause uh, the movie, the, the movie, the comedy was coming out and got offered to, to do it. And I just couldn't say no. Cause it was, it would have been, you know, it would have been disrespectful to the movie and to Rick Alverson, the director to, to not do it. And Eric's kind of like, Hey man, I thought we had a deal that we were going to do. <laughs> I was like, I know I just had to do it. But then we ended up doing it for billion dollar movie, like the next year. And it's fine. And I totally, you know, I love Mark and I love that show, but um, it did feel like it was more interesting to, to make fun of the, this side of it than to really get into it. And I'm glad we did. Cause at the time, what are we going to say? You know, I don't, and I, I mean, I think there were certain places we felt comfortable. Like, I think if you looked at the AV club and saw like early interviews with us there, I think we were probably pretty honest about what we were all about. Yeah. Cause the they, time. cause they got it. Cause they got it. But if, you know, we were doing some junket interview with somebody that just got assigned a job, you know, we're going to pounce on that and try to do something. And especially <laughs> if we torture got, the, torture the poor uh, interviewers. Yeah. Yeah. And if we were going to do late night, we've, d we've done all the late, most of the late night shows. We just thought like, Oh, this is a, just a chance for us to be on TV. Why would we go and talk about our summer vacations? Well, we got to go and do a whole thing. So, yeah, it's, it's all logical why we did what we did, but, um, and also I don't think we would have had much, much of anything interesting to say, you know, <laughs> was there one of those late night appearances uh, that the two of you did that stands out in your memory is particularly, uh, I think fun? the Colbert, uh, we did this clown, uh, we were doing this thing in our live, in our live act, which was this, uh, clown town. Um, and I was this, we were both clowns, but dressed as like clowns but like we had done the makeup ourselves so it just kind of looked like that crazy <laughs> person clown but i the whole uh the whole point of the clown show was was to t teach children about divorce and <laughs> <laughs> and it became clear that this was like a very personal vindictive um thing that i was doing uh against my ex-wife or something and 
you know, just to, that was a good one just cause we had a, we looked ridiculous and Colbert played it very nicely, very straight. And I was able to like, kind of talk about like talking about divorce in a clown suit is just <laughs> good. You know, that's just going to be good. What's with the, uh, what's with the clown uh, stuff? What's uh, the... Oh, well, I don't know. We're going to get into this. Um, <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people probably know this. I don't know if you know this. I've, um, I've been going through kind of a, very, a really tough divorce. I've been going through, <sighs> I don't, I just didn't want to get into this, but, um, it's been a really, really hard couple months uh, okay. with my wife and uh, the kids and everything. And I've tried treating it. I've tried doing meditation. I've tried doing lots of diet therapy and all sorts of stuff to handle it. And when it comes down to it, the one thing in, the, in this whole world that gives me any kind of joy is clowning around with my best friend, Eric Wareheim, who's here with me tonight. And then that's something. Do it together. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when I feel blue, he knows what to do. Try it. He gives me a tickle. Watch this. <laughs> it seems like, you know, you and Eric did nearly everything together for a while. Now you do a lot of things separately. Is Was there a, a moment where you, you know, sort of had to strike out on your own a little bit? Or, or how did you think about that? I don't know if there was a moment. I think generally... Uh... Or uh, there just became ideas that I that didn't fit into you know t Tim and Eric um, as you can sort of tell through the many projects we've done it, it ha it's sort of limited in its uh, in the in the things that we can do within that uh, paradigm structure um, there's just ideas I would have that don't really work in the Tim and Eric world and they started finding them other other routes outside of of Tim and Eric. Uh, so natural, it just kind of happened naturally. And, you know, we, up until last year or two years ago, I think we were pretty, still pretty active. Like, you know, we did a tour right before the pandemic and that felt like, yeah, we could keep doing this forever. We had done this show beef house together and it felt like it was really, you know, for the first several years, all Eric and me, all our creative energy was going into to our our work together. It made a lot of it made us produce a lot uh, of stuff. But we all we both kind of got lost in the personas of Tim and Eric, and not really, you know, uh, and kind of felt I felt a little like, who am I? You know, what am I? Who am I here? You know, what am I? What do I want to do? And um. So it, it, it felt like, I mean, we've been doing stuff outside of Tim and Eric now, uh, separately for probably 10 years now in different ways. And we, we knew pretty quickly that like, this was the key to not having like a bad breakup was to make sure that there were pressure valves that we can take, take the pressure off and I could go do something and Eric could go do something and, and we would be not, it wouldn't feel like we wouldn't feel like we had to do one or the other. But when those other things become more time-consuming and all-consuming, and uh, it does make it harder to get back and do stuff. Um, not to say that we won't, just like we just, you know, this, the, the stakes get higher. It's like, well, what are you going to do now, you two? Yeah. So <laughs> there's that feeling, and there's, there's, there's projects that we want to do that we – care about that we have to want to do the right way and and there's just i don't know this there's a malaise i think too of the past several years or past couple of years since the pandemic of just sort of like yeah it's gotta it's gotta be quite a lot to get me like off the couch you know <laughs> uh like what is gonna really put the fire in us to do something and and so yeah i think we, I always look to my heroes of like, how do you handle these sort of situations? Um, there's bad ways of handling it and good ways. So right now I think it's just like, um, we're just doing what we doing what we both want to do, but with the idea that we got to, we should do something else. Like we love making stuff together. And when we, when we do make stuff together, it usually comes out pretty good. So we'll figure it out. 
and you got to get him, you know, he's very busy uh, making wine and food. Well, I've got a schedule uh, around the dinners and lunches. It's very hard to... (laughs) (laughs) Before we get to the uh, last segment of the show, I did want to touch on the music side of things um, and the album, which I really, really enjoyed uh, high school. Um, I think the the Kurt Vile influence is uh, is definitely there, and I was uh, I love that you got him on the album as well. Um, did you were you friends with him, or how did he end up uh, being I guest, was guesting on with, the album? Yeah, I was friendly friends, become friends. Uh, we have crossed. We have similar, uh, you know, we all small community of of people here in this biz of ours. But it was like, oh yeah, I know Kurt. Yeah, Kurt's a Kurt's a good dude. Um, but I've, I've met him a few times. We had corresponded and he, you know, he had always said really nice things about my previous records and treated me like an equal in that regard. Like he was a fan of the comedy of my comedy side. Um, but it was like, dude, you, I love your music too, you know? And so I was like, well, geez, I, this guy's one of the, one of our modern greats at the moment, I think. And, um, yeah, he was just out here, and and I had written that song, Sirens of Titan, kind of in... I, I sometimes do this as a writer. You just kind of think about another artist when you're writing it, you know? Like, how would Kurt approach this song? How would he structure... You know, what would the what would his phrasing be? So I was kind of doing like a little Kurt Vile, uh, you know, nod during... As I was writing it, and I sent that to him, and he was like, oh, I love it, you know? <laughs> so... I was worried that he'd be offended, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, he just came over and jammed on it and it was nice to, to have his stamp of, I think for, for like, you know, going back to Bob, like there's always a couple of people that it's when you get to work with them, it signals to other people that, okay, this is not a joke or this guy's for real. And we, we were lucky to have that with Bob and, and David Cross did a few early things and Jack Black did a few early things with us. And I think it just let other people like relax and say, okay, this is, I don't, this is, I'm not the butt of a joke here. And this isn't some weird, uh, you know, project that I, that I can't understand. It has sort of the stamp of authenticity on it. Uh, so the final segment on the show is called the first laugh. I want to run through some firsts in your, uh, life and career around comedy and uh, get some some quicker answers if we can. Um, so going all the way back, do you remember the first piece of comedy or one of the first that made you laugh really hard growing up? You know, I think it's got to be, uh, uh, the clearest memory is like Bill Cosby himself, the, uh, the, you know, chocolate cake and Jeffrey and the dentist. It's massive piece of uh, comedy, I hate, I hate to say. I know. It's a shame that it's hard to watch. It's tarnished, again. yeah. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you had the ability to make other people laugh? I had a, a closed-circuit morning news show in high school at our high oh, school. Wow. And uh, I was able to do uh, go in there every every morning and do little sketches and bits. And yeah, I think you know we never got canceled i think we basically <laughs> had a nice run of one year there at the end of my senior year uh what about the first time you performed comedy on stage i mean was it uh was it stand up in a more straightforward way the the first time you did it yeah we did uh i did stand up in new york at one of these bringer events these tuesday night you know bring 10 people or something insane and yeah i, I came up there in a big winter coat and a fur like russian russian fur cap and did this terrible routine uh that i you know didn't i think it probably made a couple of my friends laugh that's probably about it <laughs> what about the first joke or bit that did really work that connected with an audience um that you felt like oh i i might have something here i think it was maybe eric and i uh showing our uh first couple of, like we showed the original tom goes to the mayor at a film festival and Philadelphia and it got some laughs in the room and it felt like, Oh wow. Okay. Um, this is a a random thing, but when I had Paul Feig on this podcast, we were talking about bridesmaids and, uh, how you're in the movie, but I don't really think you get to be funny in the movie really. And I was wondering what happened there. What uh, What did he say about that? <laughs> he, he didn't have much of an answer to it. He was like, yeah, you know, I think maybe some things got cut, but uh, was, were there, was there a lot that you were doing in that movie that we didn't see? No, not really. I don't know really. I, there was a scene. I would say there was a scene that got cut that was, I don't know, was it funny? Probably not, you know? <laughs> 
I think uh, I remember being inc- very nervous to be doing that movie and very like scared. It was the first big movie I think I had been a part of in any way. I mean, Maya, uh, Maya Rudolph was super, super cool and fun. And we hung out the whole time because most of the scenes were the two of us. Um, and I just remember like, I don't know why I got cast. I don't think I'm doing much of yeah, it's anything a very in weird, this movie. It's very weird to watch you in it now. I do think knowing like- Knowing everything like, you, you're capable of. Yeah. I mean, I do think I do a nice job in the speech scene where there's this crazy speech and they are utilizing, I think I have a good, uh, good reactions there. And that's like, that's what makes one of the things that makes that scene work, I think is like the variety of like the cringe reactions. Um, I think, you know, I, I know it was one, it's one of these Judd Apatow deals where it's like a three and a half hour movie that gets cut down to a two and a half hour movie and tons of improv and stuff. And I'm sure I was just like, oh, we got to cut some stuff, you know? And I think the key, obviously the focus of that movie is on the women and the bridesmaids and like it, it makes, it's kind of a nice, I think Judd said this, like, it's fun that the men in the, in the movie are kind of emasculated and, and kind of put in the corner like you would in a, <laughs> in a, you know, a male driven Clint Eastwood movie or something, but thank God financially, I do have one line. I have, yeah. I say, oh. I say I do. And that, in, that, uh, that made all that, the difference that enables me to get residuals on that. Oh, movie, wow. That's which great. I don't think you can, if you don't have any line, but considering <laughs> I have one line, your one line is it I triggers do. a chain reaction of random checks. I get a few times a year. Do you have a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Well, yes, the sh- it's a long story, but the short version is Gary Busey coming in and doing a voice on Tom goes for the mayor, which, um, he was a full on abusive, horrible maniac. Um, and I like really thought I was going to be physically assaulted. I also (laughs) felt like my career was over because we were tanking this, this show with this appearance, but I've man, we had the foresight to hit, set up a hidden camera, um, and captured the whole thing. And it is, it's a beautiful short film. It's like an 11 minute experience with Gary Busey, just reaming us out for no reason and, and threatening me and sending me out of the room. And, and it exists as a beautiful 11 minute long shot that will, uh, that I've showed a few times, but will gladly post publicly upon his, uh, demise. <laughs> uh, what about um, the first time that you met one of your comedy heroes um, or one of the, the first times meeting someone who you really, really looked up to in comedy that, that stands out in your memory? I think um, I can just picture now actually meeting Bob. Um, he, we had talked on the phone a few times, but he uh, invited us. He was like, if you're going to be in LA, come and we'll, we'll get lunch and stuff. And we kind of just said, all right, well, let's go to LA. Yeah, you know, let's, let's just go there. <laughs> We're in LA. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we made plans. And he, at the time had this, uh, office on a lot on, uh, one of the, across from Paramount, there's a lot there like total, it was actually Charlie Chaplin had built this lot. So it was very historic looking, yeah. cool, total classic Hollywood looking place. And, uh, we drove on there and it was a Saturday. So there was not a lot of activity there. Um, we drove on there and Bob was standing there, but he was set up, he set himself up like a statue. So he was just like frozen and posing <laughs> as a statue and That's just hilarious. wouldn't move and just made a, made a whole bit out of the experience, which was very funny. That's a great first meeting. Finally, I like to give my guests a chance to shout out, um, other comedians, other comedy that's making them laugh. So what's the last piece of comedy that really made you laugh? Uh, something you've seen that you want to give a shout out to. I love all the stuff that's going on on this site, eternal family, eternal.tv. Yeah. They've, their stuff is crazy. Uh, there's a short on there called Nicole. Um, that is, I think one of my favorite little pieces of work in the past couple of years. Um, but it's all behind the paywall. You have to, buy, you have to be, you have to support the arts and join eternal.tv. That's a good Trust plug me. then everyone, uh, everyone support eternal.tv. Thank you, Tim, so much for doing this. Uh, it's yeah. really been really fun talking with you. And um, yeah, good luck on the tour. I'm glad you got COVID out of the way. Um, you can uh, go have way. fun now. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Good talking to you, Matt. Showing us back 
All right. Thanks again to Tim Heidecker for getting so real with me in that conversation. You can get tour dates and tickets for his big summer tour at timheidecker.com. And you can stream his new album, High School, wherever you get your music. We'll put a link in the description for this episode as well. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.